Welcome to the Oxford University Psychiatry podcast series. My name is Daniel Morn and I have Professor Sina Fazel here with me this morning. Good morning, Sina. Good morning. Professor Sina Fazel is um, an expert in forensic psychiatry, in uh, understanding about mental health in prisons and suicide risk in prisons. And that's quite a diverse research field, Sina. Uh, could you tell us a bit about how you got into that? Yes, well, I think like many researchers, um, it's partly a matter of chance. I was training as a junior psychiatrist here in Oxford and invited to be the research worker on a study of older prisoners. And older prisoners hadn't been studied much before, and I was particularly interested in mental health of older prisoners and interviewed over 200 older prisoners over a couple of years or so. Um, and that really sparked an interest, and then I trained in forensic psychiatry and then ended up working as a, as a consultant forensic psychiatrist and, and now uh, predominantly doing research, but also still work uh, clinically in a prison as a, as a psychiatrist, as a visiting psychiatrist in a local prison. Your research field has, has actually uh, received some national interest from the media both last year and this year, well, increasingly over the past few years, particularly around the area of suicide in prisons. Now, why is that the case? Well, I think it's... Um, I think it's noted as an international problem, particularly in high-income countries. So there's always been a lot of media coverage around the world, particularly in the UK. And I think the UK has been um, partly, I think, because of the Howard League for Penal Reform and, and other um, third-sector organisations have raised this as an important issue, as an important litmus test, really, about health generally, public health and public health should include prisoners. Um, so I think that's part of it. The other reason why it's received some national interest recently is because the numbers have gone up. So the numbers of deaths in custody have gone up. They went up um, around 30 individuals more than the previous year. And also there's quite a large burden of self-harm in prisons. So although there's a lot of interest, obviously, in, in, in deaths, but actually there's over 20,000 incidents every year in prisons of self-harm, and that's been going up particularly among men. There's a, there's a number of reasons, not only the um, international context, but the local um, context where the numbers have gone up and the self-harm rates are, are, are very high. And you've done some interesting work in the uh, internationally and looking at mental health rates and suicide rates in, in prison. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, one of the things we wanted to do was try and synthesise the evidence around the world about um, prison mental health. So, I mean, the, 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 one of the best approaches to do that is systematic reviewing the evidence and in a transparent but quantitative way trying to pool studies, which can be pooled to some extent together to get a, um, a picture of, of um, what are the main mental disorders, and what's their prevalence and what explains variation between different prevalences that are reported around the world. So what, what have you found? Well, I think the, the, um, the, the most stark figure is that one in seven prisoners have a major treatable mental illness, and by that we mean a major depression or a psychotic illness such as schizophrenia bipolar disorder. So that's, that, that's helpful because it helps policymakers, people in public health, you know, just think about the burden 
of disease in, in uh, uh, mental illness in, in prisoners, treatable mental illness. Um, we've also done some work on substance abuse subsequently, which finds very high rates of substance abuse, particularly among women going into prison, uh, and that's focused very much around drug and alcohol problems, obviously, but particularly drug problems in women. You mentioned that number one in seven prisoners have a, a major treatable mental illness. And this is internationally, and presumably there's going to be quite a variation in, in the quality of psychiatric uh, management in prisons. That's right, yes. And one of the big differences is, is who actually administers the healthcare. So there's been, in a way, two different models. One is the equivalent of the national health system runs prison healthcare. And another model has been the justice departments around the world employ their own healthcare systems. And there's been a gradual move towards the national health running prison systems and, and the UK has been at the forefront of that and they, um, the, the, the NHS now runs prison health care. Um, it's a bit difficult to know to what extent that's actually improved things but um, there is some evidence that um, particularly if it's aligned with good quality care. So it's, it's not just a question of who runs it but it needs to be backed by um, having good good quality standards, accountability, um, uh, the involvement of academic medicine is very helpful. So if that if that all comes into the mix, then it does seem to to health to, to help health outcomes. Right, and and you've done some research not only into the mental health of of people in prison, but the suicide risk of people in prison. You you made some interesting uh, observations about the fact that um, they aren't the suicide risk isn't necessarily linked to the general population suicide risk. What's that all about? Yeah, that's, that's right. So, um, I mean, what, one thing at the outset is to say that it seems to, from the research that we've done, that the suicide risk is elevated compared to the general population. So even if you compare uh, prisoners with people of the same age in the general population, um, you find it's elevated somewhere like between about five or six times compared to the general population. And women, it's even higher. So in women, it goes up to 10 to 20 times compared to the general population. So we have this quite large differential with the, the general population, excess risk of the general population. And one of the things we did is we tried to look at risk factors, and we've done this in different ways. Um, but as you say, one of the interesting findings of um, the first piece of work that we did on risk factors was that there are some risk factors that are different in the general population. So in the general population, for instance, marriage is thought to be a protective factor. But it seems in prisoners, it's a risk factor. And there was also an indication, but not so strong an indication, that employment was a risk factor in prisoners, where of course it's, an, it's a protective factor in the general population. And one of the theories that we've had about this is that it's something to do with the number of loss events. So if you have more to lose, then prison can actually be heighten your suicide risk, elevate your suicide risk. So people who come in, who are married, who've got jobs, um, plus a lot of them will have underlying mental disorders, a lot of them will have all sorts of other psychosocial problems going on. I mean, you put all that together, the accumulation of those risk factors, unfortunately, does lead to... Um, elevated suicide risk. Is there more that we could be doing in prisons to help manage this risk and help treat these these people with mental health problems? Well I think there is. Um, one of the things that we've 
been um, trying to demonstrate is the importance of treatable mental illnesses and their contribution to suicide risk, but not just suicide risk, self-harm risk as well. And that will have a huge impact um, because of the, um, the, the, the extent of, of the morbidity of self-harm is so large in prisons, the effects it must have on prison staff um, uh, and also other prisoners. And we think there's a bit of contagion. So when people self-harm, it, um, it, it may spread in, in, in prison wings. When um, you talk about self-harm, what, what's that look like? Is it sort of is it cutting on the arms, or, or what is it? It's, it is cutting on the arms mainly, and, and uh, there is also some overdose um, of medication. People store their medication, overdose it, and mm. people use other methods as well. They, um, they harm themselves in other ways as well. But it's often ligatures as well, um, to tying uh, things around necks mm. in particular, um, but cutting is, 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 obviously, is, as you say, a, a prominent way of doing it. So what else can people do? So I think, it, it, so it's not just a treat, treatment of mental illness, it, what we have also shown is that it's, it's often people have multiple mental disorders. So it's, someone may have a depressive illness, but they also have alcohol problems as well, or they may have some other... Um, uh, problem on top of that, um, and 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 we, we've shown that um, that in, in women prisoners, in particular, there, there also comes a lot of trauma. Um, many of these women have had um, bereavements in their immediate family, but also very traumatic experiences growing up, being in, in care, being abused. Um, so you you put all that together, you create quite complex psychos- psychological needs, and probably requires complex solutions. Um, so it's not just a question of um, primary care handing out medication. I think it's more than that. So that's one of the things. Um, and the other thing um, is, is, is probably something to do with the environment as well. And, and that um, we know a little bit that there are things like if you increase meaningful daytime activity, if you increase rela- improve relationships between prison officers and prisoners, they, that may also have an impact. It's more difficult to study, but there's definitely something about the environment and um, good relationships and um, people talk about sort of healthy prisons. Um, and I think part of the, that, that whole way of thinking is, 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 is it, the, the prisoners live in very social contexts and, 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 and one has to be aware of the wider context. So one of the things that we, we've argued um, when we studied self-harm is it's if you know an individual self-harms on a wing, you have to be aware you have to think about the people on that wing who are vulnerable because of the contagious effect, the possible contagious effect. So there, there may be things you can do to, to mitigate the risk in, in other prisoners who, who may be considering it but haven't actually self-harmed. What about psychiatrists who are working in prisons? They're called in-reach services. That, that's right, isn't it? Yes. What about these psychiatrists who are... Uh, how do they actually manage this suicide risk? What do they do in the prisons? What does their care look like? Well, I think it, uh, there, there, isn't, um, it's just, there isn't one answer to that question. I think uh, partly because prisons are very different. So some prisons have um, a lot of prisoners who are not sentenced and so it's more, much more chaotic and, and there it's much more difficult to do anything because you, people are only there for a short period of time, they have to move they're going back and forth to court 
So how are you supposed to actually intervene effectively is, is a real big cha- is a real challenge. Um, the um, well, what, what can psychiatrists do? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's good, good, good practice following you know, evidence-based treatment um, to, to treat mental illnesses. Um, uh, there is a, there are there are protocols in prison, suicide risk management protocols, which um, are mainly um, administered by prison officers, and I think that's right because most of the care is actually um, the psychosocial care in prisons is. is is, is given out by prison officers. I mean, they're there all the time. They make the sort of close relationships with prisoners that the healthcare staff just can't because we're not there to that extent. So there is also, in that context, the work of psychiatrists liaising with different um, other people in prison, particularly primary care, but also prison officers to some extent. Um, and I think just sort of helping helping the the prison um, develop its policies, develop its guidelines, um, think about how to deal with high risk individuals. Um, but actually, I think quite rightly so. A lot of the suicide risk management is run by by prison officers in conjunction with primary care, mostly nursing staff. That's really interesting to hear. We are facing a lot of constraints in our our country at the moment. And we've noticed that in, in, in psychiatry in general that uh, our acute inpatient beds are, are reducing and that's putting a lot of pressure on the system. And, and if you look back, you notice that as, it, as beds are decreasing in, in, for mental health, prison numbers are potentially increasing. And, and, and if we look at the number of mental health problems in prison that you've suggested, is, is that a concern? Are we, are we moving people from one from one place to another. It is a concern, and there is some evidence to suggest that there is a phenomenon going on called trans-institutionalisation. So the, the idea was, from the 50s onwards, that these large asylums would gradually close down and you would get deinstitutionalisation. But actually, there is some evidence that it's been... People have just shifted, and unfortunately they've shifted... Some of these people shifted prisons, a lot of them have shifted to becoming homeless, so you know, the worst possible context in some, to some, in some respects for people to go, you know, ending up in the criminal justice system and actually homeless when we know they're very high uh, rates of mortality and inf- disease um, so there is that in, in, in countries like the, the US that's a particular concern because there the bed numbers have gone down by about 95% and the um, three largest institutions that hold psychiatric patients are prisons. Um, and so the number of mentally ill in, in prisons, in, uh, in American prisons, is, is, is more than um, our own hospitals. Um, so there is, I think in the UK and in, in, in Western Europe, that's less... Uh, le- le- less um, stark because our prison numbers are much lower, um, but in some countries it does seem to be um, quite a lot of trans-institutionalisation going on. There's a recent piece of work looking at South America actually, where they found very close correlation between decrease in bed numbers, psychiatric bed numbers, and increase in prison numbers. Um, of course, there are lots of secular trends that one has to take account of and very difficult to study, but but. It's just the, the, the absolute numbers of 
people in, in prison is very high in some countries, and the absolute number of people in mental illness is, is, as a consequence, very high. Well, that's a really fascinating uh, narrative, actually, as our, our society advances. And I, on that note, um, do you uh, have any plans for future research in this area that, that, that looks at new ways or novel ways of managing uh, people with mental health in prisons? Yes, so we're, we're trying to develop um, ways of um, identifying high and medium risk groups and so it's a piece of work that I'm involved in currently which is funded by the Wellcome Trust is, um, is really developing what we call clinical prediction rules so ways of prognostic rules in a way of trying to identify people that might benefit from more interventions um, uh, more management, closer management of their problems particularly when they leave prison um, and we've been very interested in the link between mental illness and reoffending, and 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 what can be done to um, uh, reduce the risk of reoffending, particularly in um, patients with, with with mental health problems or, or prisoners with mental health problems. And, and finding a system that's improving identification of these high-risk individuals within prisons. Absolutely, within prisons, on, on release from prisons, um, and finding a way that's scalable, simple, not very expensive. That would be the, the, the aim, and that's the programme of work I'm, I'm currently involved in. Thank you, Professor Sina Fazal. It's been great speaking to you this morning. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to the Oxford University Psychiatry Podcast Series. Please do... Tune in again. Thank you.